Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We hope you are safe and warm. Coming up on our program today, we'll be talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, his thoughts on the impact of this winter storm on ag transportation. We're also going to talk about renewable fuels and their future as we move forward with this push for climate policy. A lot of talk about electric vehicles and things like that. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. And we'll wrap up the show with some of my thoughts on diversity. Now that's going to be a different discussion than a lot of the diversity discussions and debates you hear across the country. This one's going to be about the need for diversity in food production and energy production. My thoughts on that coming up later in the program. But let's start it off by talking with Todd Neely, DTN reporter. And Todd, I have to start, I have to mention, I I think, uh, about the passing of Rush Limbaugh. And I want to talk about this in a non-political uh, point of view, and that's hard to do, I know, with Rush Limbaugh, but um, sure. I, I just want to look at it from, uh, in my business, a radio business, a talk show business, um, and, and I wasn't a, a loyal listener or a big listener even, just uh, an, uh, an occasional listener of Rush Limbaugh, but I recognize what he accomplished, uh, uh, what he did for AM radio, and what he was able to, uh, whether he agreed with him or disagreed with him, and uh, he was certainly a controversial figure, but his ability to establish an audience and establish such a relationship with his audience, the loyalty of his audience, the size of his audience, and to be able to keep it for such a long period of time. You have to respect that and and recognize that whether you agreed with his points of view or not. Yeah, you know, Mike, I totally agree. You know, uh, I've been a listener to Rush Limbaugh myself, you know, throughout the years, and... uh, I actually had an occasion. I met him at a Nebraska football game back in 2007. He was there uh, hanging out with Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court justice, uh, at a Missouri-Nebraska game. Uh, I ran into Rush in an elevator, had a brief chat with him, and uh, he didn't appear to me to be the guy on the radio that a lot of people, uh, you know, the brass personality, the you know, bigger-than-life guy, just a regular, you know, laid-back, normal, average, you know, generous guy. Um, and that was just a brief, you know, interaction I had with him. But you're right. I, I think that genuineness is probably uh, probably one of the main reasons he was able to keep an audience for as long as he had. Yeah, we've heard a lot of people say he was much different off the air than on. And and, yeah. and quite frankly, it was his style, his his approach and delivery and way of doing it is what, you know, I didn't particularly care for that. So that's why I wasn't more of a listener than I was. I agreed with him on a lot of things and disagreed with him on a lot of things, too. But, you know, his style just wasn't particularly for me. But it worked for sure. him and for his audience. And and what I've 
I've always thought special about being on the radio is the relationship you have with your listeners. And he had a very unique one, a very strong bond with them, and I respect that very much. All right, let's move on to some of the things going on. The USDA Outlook Conference, their Outlook Forum is underway. I'm going to have much more on this tomorrow. Uh, but one of the early things that came out from uh, new USDA Chief Economist Seth Meyer, they're projecting corn acres and bean acres to both be up. And we've been kind of wondering what their numbers yeah. would be. $92 million on corn. They're projecting $90 million on soybeans yeah you know mike and i think when you look at what agriculture has been doing at the start of the year you know with the prices going up um, i think there's been a bit of a lift of spirits in this industry in some sense and you know we're also seeing fertilizer and other input prices go up at the same time but this isn't unheard of you know we saw the uh, you know the beginning of the ethanol boom you know back in the back in the day and uh, you know it drove uh, corn prices up to levels we hadn't seen before soybean prices were up um, you know, I don't know whether this is the beginning of something like that again, but it definitely, uh, you know, as those prices go up, farmers are so good at producing, you know, and they tend to go where the best price is and, and you know, where they can make a, a good profit. And so uh, I I would suspect that those numbers are probably pretty accurate uh, just based on the, you know, the, the sense that people have right now of how the ag economy is looking course a lot depends on and, and they even acknowledge us at the conference it depends on weather we all know that right and we've had plenty Absolutely. of uh, Absolutely. weather to talk about recently and uh, uh, challenges there um, you mentioned ethanol uh, it's been an interesting uh, week in the state of Minnesota with some hearings there as they yeah. look uh, to uh, uh, make some changes in there that's a strong state for for biofuels Absolutely. and they kind of want to uh, they want to go from E10 to E15 as kind of their baseline yeah, Mike, you know, it's interesting. Uh, they are looking at an E15 mandate, which that would make it the first state mm-hmm. in the United States to do so. Um, I think what we've seen, you know, even through EPA, that uh, the science seems to support that E15 can work not only in most vehicles that are on the road, but it can also work in, in many and most of the of the infrastructure, the pumping infrastructure. Um, but I think the debate that's ongoing in Minnesota right now is whether uh, you know, retailers can meet the 2022 deadline that this this bill currently in the in the, in the Senate uh, committee in Minnesota is looking at. And so, uh, I think it's still a ways off from passing. You know, there's a lot. Of, like I said, there's a lot of concern about the cost of retailers to comply. Many of them are still concerned whether you know their current infrastructure could even uh, could even hold it. But it would be good for farmers in that state for sure. Also, we've heard this week from uh, former congressman, former House Ag Committee Chair Colin Peterson from Minnesota. He says he wants to stay involved uh, in some of these climate uh, policy discussions that are going on. He, he continued to said, said he continues to support ethanol. It'll be interesting to see what role he takes, uh, where he lands as far as a position to be more involved in these uh, discussions moving forward. Yeah, you know, and Colin Peterson, as you know, for many years, I mean, he was highly, you know, highly uh, supportive of biofuels. You know, he comes from Minnesota, and mm-hmm. as we were talking about Minnesota, it's been a very progressive state when it comes to ethanol policy and and uh, what they do with uh, with the industry there. Um, I think Colin would probably work as, as some sort of a, you know, I don't know if he'd be a lobbyist, but he definitely could work with some of these ethanol groups, uh, you know, and getting the word out about about the industry. I think that's a continuing concern for the ethanol groups is, is making sure their story is told. And uh, Colin Peterson would definitely be a good uh, a good voice in that regard. Yeah, you know somebody will have him on their 
board of some organization for sure, I would imagine. Uh, we'll, he'll Absolutely. be in, in high demand. Well, Todd, stay warm. Good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Me too. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. We'll talk more about uh, the future of ethanol, renewable fuels moving forward with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, a little bit later on. Also talk about a, a, yet another new report out on the, uh, the benefits of using ethanol. That's coming up uh, shortly. But next, we'll take a look at this winter storm and its grip on much of the country. How is it impacting ag transportation in its various forms. We'll talk about that next with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. A little bit later, I'll be talking about my thoughts on uh, uh, the need for diversity when it comes to our food production and our energy production, both very much impacted by this uh, winter storm this year. We'll talk more about that later on. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, joins us. So what do these 2020 numbers tell us when you have a record in pork exports and even though down some in beef, still finishing strong in the year. During a pandemic, what does that tell us? Despite all that, people are still eating, and we're seeing that in the numbers. Now, it's by no means business as usual. There is massive disruptions and a lot of shifts that had to go on. Retail is booming. E-commerce platforms are booming. And I think that's one of the positives we can take into 2021. We can build on the momentum at retail, the momentum on these e-commerce platforms, and you know what's going to happen in 2021. Over the course of the year, we're going to see tourism start to come back. We're going to see food service start to come back as well. And we are actually forecasting new records to be set on beef and pork for 2021 as well. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. 
text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we're finally starting to see some moderation in these temperatures, starting to warm up a little bit. But the the impact and the grip of this winter storm is going to be felt for some time, including in ag transportation. Joining us now is Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike just saw a note that uh, there are chunks of ice floating down the Mississippi River in Memphis. And that kind of points out, uh, you know, we have winter storms every winter, but for a storm to reach into the areas that it has reached this time, as far south as it has reached, areas that usually don't have this kind of weather, that's what has made this one really stand out. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. You know, those of us who live in the Midwest and the Plain States, uh, we have developed a, 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 an understanding of winter and an experience with winter. This is not our first rodeo, um, but what is indeed unique is how widespread this system is this winter weather is you know the volume of snowfall but then you know just as much the the severity of the cold temperatures and then how long that severity has occurred so clearly um, you know you expect these kind of hiccups uh, interruptions of service to occur throughout the winter you, you you plan for it but given the fact that this is more you know seismic than what we normally see it clearly is having more of an impact on our supply chain, including the supply chain that agriculture relies on. Yeah, so what are some of the uh, situations you've heard about, the impact that you're seeing in the various forms of transportation that agriculture depends on? You know, it really impacts, you know, all of the modes. Uh, you know, when you think about the inland waterway system with our with our rivers, uh, you know, ice accumulation, you, you mentioned even as far south as, as Memphis, in the upper parts of the river, you see ice, you know, formation that, you know, first starts along the shoreline and then it works its way more toward the center of the channel. Well, what the result of that is the Army Corps of Engineers has had to impose a number of width restrictions for these barge flotillas. Uh, a typical 15 barge flotilla um, will transport 850,000 bushels of soybeans. Each individual barge will accommodate 50,000 plus bushels of soybean. So every time you're removing these barges because the, the width of the channel has been limited, you're, you're increasing in efficiency that the, the system is no longer as economical as, as it normally is. You know, certainly with rail infrastructure, you know, naturally if you have snow or ice on the tracks, you have to clear that and that, that introduces some inefficiency. But what a lot of people don't understand is that the severe cold temperatures, it has a real impact on the efficacy of a, of a train's air braking system. And when you have these persistent cold temperatures, the railroads have to respond by limiting the length of their train. So you're maintaining the same amount of locomotive power, you're removing some of the freight cars. And so 
now you're faced with the challenge of having to move a given amount of freight now with more trains. And so that all of a sudden, you know, introduces some more inefficiency into the system as well. So it really touches on all of the various modes. What about uh, water levels on the rivers? Uh, it's, it's, you know, usually this time of year, we're looking ahead, thinking about, wow, flooding issues. This year we're talking about low water levels. Has that impacted river traffic? It, it has in certain in certain areas of the system, um, you know, and so, you know, which is a real contrast with 2019 when we had uh, an overabundance of water and that was having an impact on, on river navigation. So, it, yes, we have seen some, some areas of the system where barges have had to be more light loaded. And, you know, that's something that, you know, for some industries that might not be you know, something to really get concerned with. But for agriculture, when you have a, when your industry is a very tight margin industry where you, you make your money by having a small profit margin and then you multiply that by millions and billions of bushels, anytime you're not able to have your supply chain operating as, as it's designed to, you know, it, it, it makes, makes it more of a challenge. So yes, we have seen some of these, you know, light loading kind of uh, situations along our inland waterway system. You know, we usually think of uh, the waterway system as as barges going downriver, taking th- you know products downriver. But we also need to keep in mind we depend on a lot coming upriver, right? A lot, especially a lot of our inputs and things like that. Yeah, it, a lot of our our fertilizer shipments. You know, we we see a lot of that starting to occur in in March and April, um, and so that's that's really key for for agriculture. But you know not a lot of finished goods that you see on the grocery store or department store shelves that don't get transported by the, the inland waterway system, but so many of the raw inputs that make the U.S. economy operate. So chemicals, uh, coal, aggregates, um, you know, of course, agriculture being one of them. You're seeing more things like wind turbine blades being transported by the inland waterway system. So a lot of these real critical components of our economy are transported by the the inland waterway system, so it, it very much is an important has a real important role to play for our broader economy, including agriculture. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, with the impeachment trial behind us now, looking forward, uh, do you th- what are you hearing as far as uh, Congress getting around to an infrastructure package? You're you're seeing more attention. You're you're you know certainly high level meetings with the president, with members of the Senate. Um, you know, obviously Secretary Buttigieg is talking a lot of about the need for a a, a comprehensive package. You know, I, I see the administration really seeing infrastructure as, as one of the ways to respond to to COVID, which I think is is adding some more enthusiasm for the the concept. So I see it I see it continue. Um, you know, I am fine with some of these top discussions about electric vehicles and and really, you know, trying to address climate change and, and whatnot and, and being responsible from a sustainability perspective. But I, I hope we don't lose sight of the fact that when we're really talking about infrastructure, let's not neglect the roads and bridges, the freight rail system, our ports, our inland waterway system. These modes that are established that are providing, have provided and continue to provide significant benefit to the U.S. economy, including agriculture, those modes of transportation need attention. They need investment. And I hope, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to, to get distracted by the shiny object. 
And you know, I, I think we just need to make sure that we're doing, we know what we need to do. We have a system that has really served us well, but it needs more investment. It needs more attention. And I hope we don't lose sight of that. This is a new, I thought this was part of the selling point four years ago and even before that, but a strong infrastructure uh, program, projects moving forward, those create jobs usually, right? And you hear so much about shovel-ready jobs and projects and things like that, and so often we find things being pushed that you can't find the shovel or any or create opportunities for people to use them. But it, it would seem like if you really, if, if our government really got behind infrastructure improvements, it would create a lot of jobs. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly the job creation component to it. And, you know, a lot of these jobs are, are you know, you know, represented by labor unions, which, you know, have a good relationship with the administration. So it seems like a real natural, you know, fit to really propose, you know, so there's the job creation part of actually constructing and maintaining the infrastructure. But then once you have that infrastructure, the real beauty kicks in and that all of a sudden makes each individual business uh, that large or small that utilizes that infrastructure more competitive because, you know, infrastructure, transportation is a cost of business. You know, it's a cost between supply and demand. And anytime you can limit that cost of, of the journey from where it's produced to where it's consumed, it makes that business, that enterprise more competitive. And so that's, so that really provides the real adrenaline to the U.S. economy is when you have that infrastructure that really makes makes our economy more competitive and more efficient. And as we've talked about before, don't just pass a bill. Make sure you fund the bill as well. Uh, we're really good at intentions as a country, but we're not as good as, as, good as out, at, at achieving outcomes. And there's a big difference between the two. So, yeah, it's one thing to say, well, let's, let's have an infrastructure bill. It's another thing to actually fund it. And so um, that's, it's really important to make sure that whatever happens gets across the finish line and actually receives that needed funding. Yeah, the appropriations part of it is, uh, is so key. Mike, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Well, the National Ethanol Conference has been going on this week, a virtual conference uh, this year. Some very big topics uh, facing the ethanol industry, the challenge of electric vehicles and uh, some other key issues as we move towards more policy-type, you know, climate policy uh, implementation that sounds like it's coming from Congress and from this administration. Where... Do biofuels fit into that? We're going to talk about that with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. That's next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, get to fresh air right away. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Temperatures will slowly warm across the United States, which should bring the South out of their deep freeze over the next several days. The U.S. dollar index is lower, reversing some of the recent gains. Grain markets are mostly weaker across the board, although wheat contracts have managed to stay in positive territory. On the Board of Trade, March corn trading a penny and three quarters lower at 551 and a fraction. The May contract down two cents at 548 and three quarters. March soybeans trading seven cents lower at 1376 and three quarters. The May contract down seven and a fraction at 1377 and a fraction. For the wheat, Chicago wheat March up seven and a half cent at 651 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat March trading six and a fraction higher at 630 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat March up four and three quarters at 627 and three quarters. The May contract up four and a fraction at 638 and a fraction. The weather disruptions are being dealt with and may now be a factor in the livestock market. Packers will need to be aggressive to make up for lost tonnage, but this may not mean higher future prices. Weights for both cattle and hogs are expected to be lighter in the near term, requiring more head to be processed. Looking at cash cattle trade, Packer inquiry is limited this morning, although we have heard some majors in Nebraska are offering to call in at $180 per hundredweight, but current asking prices are around $188 in the north and $116 plus in the south. April live cattle are trading two cents lower at 124.12. The June contract down 15 at 120.47. March feeder cattle up 42 at 138.85. The April contract trading 30 cents higher at 143.05. For lean hogs, the April contract down 45 at 84.45. The May contract down 30 at 87.12. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Joining us now is Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. 
The National Ethanol Conference uh, took place this week virtually, as uh, most events are. Ag events uh, this year so far have been, and for some time have been virtual, not all, but most. And Jeff, I know you were able to get out the information that would have been presented at the Ethanol Conference had we all been in person, but wow, I sure missed those hallway conversations, those meals together where you talked ethanol and the ethanol industry. I I so much enjoyed those over the years and have learned so much at those uh, those gatherings. That's what I really missed. Yeah, we we missed it too, Mike, and and certainly you and I would be having this conversation uh, in person, typically, uh, in in the lobby of a convention center or a hotel somewhere. Um, and, and obviously we're not able to do that this year. We, we, we actually still have the conference going on. This is the final day of the event, uh, so the program starts in about uh, half an hour, and we wrap up uh, early afternoon. Uh, and i got to tell you, Mike, as, as disappointing as it is not to see people in person, uh, it's, it's really been an excellent event so far. Um, you know, we, we ended up with more than 600 attendees. Uh, yeah, that's about half of what we typically have in, in person. Um, but we've been told from others that have done virtual conferences, if you get a third of your normal attendees, you're doing really well. So uh, we did get a good turnout, and, and I've been pleasantly surprised by the amount of interaction that we've been able to have. Uh, lots and lots of questions coming in uh, for the speakers, and, and we've had a great uh, opportunity for some, some dialogue and, and back and forth uh, even over this virtual platform. So it's, it's been a good event. Um, certainly no replacement for an in-person conference uh but uh we've done the best we we could and i think it's been a a, you know a rewarding experience for everybody involved one of the highlights of the conference each year is the address by the president and ceo bob deneen your predecessor now you giving that it really sets the tone it's a, a look at the past year it's a look ahead to the future you certainly laid that out very very well and you are talking about, and I think this is something we're going to hear more about and discuss more in the future, zero carbon corn ethanol. What do you mean by that? That's right. That's right, Mike, and, and you're correct. One of the, the, the things we start the conference with every year is the state of the industry address, and it, it is kind of a look back at what happened the previous year, but a look forward uh, for our priorities and, and, and objectives in the, in the coming year. Uh, and, and we all know 2020 was a rough year for the ethanol industry, uh, but it's over and we're all ready to move on. We didn't spend a whole lot of time dwelling on, on just how bad 2020 was. We really focused, I focused, on the real opportunities that we have ahead for the ethanol industry. And when you think about the challenges facing our nation and world, you know, we really believe that the ethanol industry has a lot to offer. And, and the big issue that everyone's focused on right now is reducing greenhouse gas emissions and we believe strongly that corn ethanol has a substantial role and contribution to, to make there. We're already, you know, the average gallon of corn ethanol is already uh, offering a 50% greenhouse gas reduction compared to gasoline. We've already reduced carbon uh, emissions by 1 billion tons in the last 12 years. Um, and we think we have more to do. And, and like you said, you know, a lot of the talk is, well, how can we get to net zero greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector and we believe that ethanol absolutely can do that um, we believe there are ways that uh, ethanol coming from a, a you know a typical uh, corn ethanol plant five or ten years in the future 
could have a carbon footprint of zero on a net basis. And when you take that ethanol and you make E85 um, or some other high-level blend and put it in a flex fuel vehicle, uh, you've got a very low carbon, low emissions uh, transportation option that we think will help uh, not not only the Biden administration, but but uh, you know countries around the world reduce the carbon emissions from the transportation sectors, and and we're excited about that. You know the push for electric vehicles. I mean, it is what it is, and there's a movement mm-hmm. in that direction. But as we all know, it's not going to happen overnight. To whatever degree it's going to happen, it's going to take time. And if if these are the goals which are stated that. Uh, we're trying to achieve, you know, the reducing of the carbon footprint and the lowering mm-hmm. of greenhouse gases. The quickest way to do that is to use more biofuels, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and again, if you look, you know, most states in the, in the country today, uh, they're kind of at a 10% average ethanol blend rate. Uh, the, the quickest way we could reduce greenhouse gas emissions in this country is to immediately jump to 15% ethanol blends as the new standard. Uh, and then move quickly past that, move to those higher blends and, and flex fuels. And like I said, if, you, if you've got a, a, a gallon of ethanol that in the future is going to offer an 80 or 90% reduction in emissions compared to gasoline, you only get the full benefit of that if you're allowing you know, that, that full gallon into the, into the gas tank, not a 10% blend or 15% blend. We need to get uh, to very high blends of ethanol in all of our vehicles to reduce emissions. And we think that can happen a lot sooner than waiting for the fleet to turn over to electric vehicles. Um, you know, there's a lot of obstacles and challenges that electric vehicles need to overcome, and we have seen some of that just this last week with the winter storms that have uh, wreaked havoc on the electricity grid in, in the you know south-central part of this country. So when you look at moving this forward uh, and the story you have to tell, you've, you've got two more recently released studies showing the benefits of ethanol and biofuels use. I mean, it really spells it out in environmental terms and economic terms. Yeah, that, that's right. There's, there's been a, a new study from researchers at Harvard University. So we're not talking about um, Iowa State or, or the University of Illinois, which are both great schools, but people say, well, they're, they're biased. You know, they're in the middle of corn country. We got a study from Harvard University saying that average corn ethanol today reduces greenhouse gas emissions by almost 50%. Um, that is significant. Uh, and, and we know that that reduction is only going to improve over time as technology adoption continues and, and the, the industry becomes more efficient. We actually had the author of that study present um, that material and his results at our conference on Tuesday, and it was very well received. And he he agreed that there is a a clear pathway for ethanol to get to zero emissions overall in the next decade or so. Um, So that was one study. And the other big study that was released, I, I mentioned earlier, shows that since 2008, the renewable fuel standard has resulted in the reduction of almost 1 billion tons of greenhouse gas emissions. And and just to put that in context, um, every year the entire transportation sector, so not just light-duty vehicles, but but planes and, 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 you know, marine vessels and trains, um, all of those emissions total to be about 2 billion 
metric tons. So just a, the RFS alone uh, is like you know cutting those emissions in half uh, just over the past 12 years when you aggregate the, the total emissions reduction. So quite a significant contribution. And like I said, if the Biden administration uh, properly implements the program moving forward, we'll get even more reductions out of it. Meanwhile, on the legal front, uh, I guess EPA has been granted more time to uh, uh, comply or address these issues that you've challenged in in court about uh, small refinery exemptions and how they handle the RFS. Well, that, that's right, and, and the big decision that we're we're all waiting on now, Mike, is is the Supreme Court uh, decision. The Supreme Court did. Uh, for whatever reason, ag- agree to review the Tenth Circuit case uh, from about a year ago, and there's a lot riding on that decision, and, and uh, we are very hopeful and, and confident that the Supreme Court is going to affirm the Tenth Circuit's opinion, and, and if, in fact, that, that's the way it plays out, that should put an end uh, to these small refiner exemptions and, and really get EPA to put the RFS back on track once and for all. Um, but yeah, we're we're still waiting on a number of other decisions from EPA on the RFS. We're waiting on the 2021 RVO proposal, um, waiting on them to reject some of these ridiculous requests from the governors, oil state governors last year for a waiver. Um, so lots, lots, still lots of loose ends that haven't yet been tied up on the RFS. But we know the new EPA, uh, you know, the new folks there are, are busily working to try and get some of these things uh, run aground. Well, Jeff, uh, congratulations as you wrap up your uh, virtual ethanol conference. And um, ordinarily, you and I, at the end of the conference, will be sitting at the airport and uh, not only talking ethanol, but looking ahead to baseball. Uh, that's our kind of our uh, our conference wrap-up usually, but uh, we'll, we'll do that another time and can't wait for that baseball season to get here, right? Spring training well, is uh, getting underway. To- yeah, I'll be happy to give you a scouting report, Mike. I'm I'm headed down to spring training. Was one of the the lucky few to get a couple tickets for the spring training games uh, uh, that start up in March. So I'll I'll let you know how the club looks after that. I'm very very envious. Yes, I, color me green with the envy right now. Enjoy enjoy that, Jeff, right. and we'll talk Cardinals soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, coming up next, uh, my thoughts on uh, some of the things uh, being debated right now. You know, there's a lot of talk about diversity, and I'm going to talk about diversity from an energy standpoint and a food standpoint as well. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, with this push for EVs, could this bring about some kind of an alliance between the oil industry and the biofuels industry? Would you be in favor of something like that? What are your thoughts? We both make liquid fuels. EVs are going to cut into our market share. Why don't we join forces and fight off the EVs? But I think that's the wrong political calculation. I think EVs are going to increase no matter what. But their numbers are so minuscule, they're not going to take market share from us for years. If Biden and Congress are focused on policies to get to net zero emissions by 2050, we have more in common with EVs than we do with fossil fuels. We've got to be brave in this moment and resist the temptation to join forces with refiners, build new political alliances that enable ethanol to, to grow in market share, even though overall fuel use will shrink. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, this winter storm and the impact it's having on many parts of the country, power outages and things like that, has led to a lot of uh, debate. And then, of course, debate usually turns into blame and finger pointing. Uh, so I want to kind of look at some of that today. You know, a lot of discussion going on and a lot of debate about diversity. And it is certainly an important topic. Diversity means different things to different people, which unfortunately has led in many cases to more division in our country than than unity. I've always felt our diversity as a country should be our strength and not our weakness. Now this includes areas that you may not usually think about when it comes to the term diversity, but I want to look at it from the perspective of food and energy production. In both cases, seems to me we are better served by more diversity and not less. The old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket comes to mind. Now, sadly, today we tend to argue more about how the eggs were raised or if there should even be any eggs in that basket. Instead, I think we should be thankful that there are eggs in the basket from different production methods to consume if we so choose. Instead of arguing about the methods used to raise animals that provide meat in our meat cases or arguing if there should be any meat there at all, I think we should be thankful that there is meat in the case to consume if we so choose. Personally, I'm a big meat eater. And let me clarify that. I am a traditional meat eater. That said, I understand there are people who choose not to eat meat or choose to eat plant-based products. I may question their belief, but I don't question their right to have that belief. I don't agree with those who say I am wrong in my beliefs and then want to eliminate my choice of what I eat. There's plenty of room in the market for both. I have friends, for instance, who strongly believe in eating only organic foods. They are even willing to pay more for those foods. Again, I don't agree with their choice, but I acknowledge it is their choice. Just don't try to take away my choice. Also, if you have a good product, let it stand or fall on its own merits. Don't rely on another product's identity. 
if you have an alternative to a product already in the marketplace, then don't try to use their name to sell yours. Don't try to profit off being different while at the same time trying to cash in on a familiar name. You shouldn't be able to have it both ways. That's why the dairy and beef industries are working so hard to protect their product names. These other products come in and want to trade off of the name beef or meat or, or dairy. All this while they're trying to say, hey, we're different, but we want to use that familiarity of those terms. Again, I don't think they should have it both ways. Now, we're having a national debate over energy sources because a lot of it, based around this winter storm and what's happened in states like Texas and the power outages that are going on in many places. Some want to go all renewable, such as electric, wind, and solar. Some in the so-called green movement want to eliminate fossil fuels altogether. It seems to me just as a total alliance on fossil fuels makes us vulnerable, so would total reliance on alternative energy sources. As you know, I'm a strong supporter of biofuels, ethanol, and biodiesel. No one in those industries wants to eliminate fossil fuels altogether. Rather, they want to enhance them by providing a more environmentally friendly component. It should have been a win-win, but the oil industry instead resisted and viewed biofuels as a competitor rather than an ally. How's that working out for them? Now the oil industry faces a real threat in electric vehicles. And as we just heard from Jeff Cooper, even in this push towards electric vehicles, there is great opportunity for the ethanol industry. Probably more opportunity in many ways for growth than the oil industry is seeing right now. A lot of focus on frozen wind turbines in Texas. And it has been pointed out, and I think should be pointed out, these wind turbines work in a lot of other places that have very cold weather, much farther north than Texas. I don't think freezing of those wind turbines down there means we should eliminate the wind industry. To me, it means should take better precautions from to eliminate those kind of situations happening in the future. In other words, don't politicize the situation. Figure out how to winterize the equipment and the system. Got a lot of people pointing figures and saying, yeah, we got to, they're to blame for all the problems in, in Texas, or we should have more green or no green. It's, it's not one or the other. It can be all of the above. Just figure out why did it not work in Texas and why those turbines do work in places where they have cold weather more often. It can be done. Don't politicize it. Winterize it. It should lead to improvements and precautions that will allow wind to help provide for our ever-growing demand for energy. Sadly, there are many who refuse to see the benefits of the production of food or energy in any way that they don't agree with. That my way or no way approach I don't think will solve our environmental challenges. Instead, I fear that the cure will be worse than the illness. I think, again, I think there is strength in diversity and not relying just solely on one thing. And it, it all so often in this country, the debate now becomes one way 
and that's it. No other way. It's got to all be this one way. When our strength is <laughs> kind of spread the risk, if you will, and spread the opportunity, and I think we will all benefit from that. Those are my thoughts on diversity in food and energy. What are your thoughts? You can email me, mikeadams at americanagnetwork.com. Hey, coming up tomorrow, a lot of analysis of the USDA outlook numbers, and we'll also be looking at the latest ag equipment sales numbers as well. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Stay safe, stay warm, everyone.